Wow. Wow, what an intro. Thank you, Grizz. Thank you, Motor City, for producing Grizz. And uh, thank you for that incredible theme song. Welcome to this, the Red Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Andreas Georges, and Twiddling the Knobs is our engineer, first name James, and our producer is the talented, the indispensable, the saintly Teresa from the shores of Nueva Jersey. So welcome. We're glad to have you here on this, our main voyage. We're the oral version of the Red Bulletin magazine, which skims all these fascinating worlds and dives in when it wants to tell the story of people living beyond the ordinary lives. Now, in the magazine, we can do that with old school reporting and beautiful photos and imagery. Here, we can't really show you that imagery. So what we'll try and do is paint a picture and explore the themes that fascinate us with guests that can provide real insight. We'll talk to people who can tell us how to manage a rock band or how to jump from space or in the case of today's guest, John DeVore, wingsuit flyer, about the limits of human flight. You know, I always like to say, you know, like we're the next step in human evolution because for the simple fact that our brains are thinking different than people that are stuck walking flat on the ground. Feel free to hit us up at Red Bulletin USA on Twitter with feedback and questions. We're on Facebook at the Red Bulletin. And of course, the site, the home for all those beautiful words and images is redbulletin.com. So let's start the show. If you've seen Transformers or Iron Man 3, or if you've ever shared one of those videos with the dudes flying scary close to the cliffs in squirrel suits, you've probably seen John DeVore's work. The captain of the Red Bull Air Force has been one of wingsuit flying's great innovators, an advocate for widespread acceptance of his dangerous sport, and a sought-after speaker in boardrooms. Perhaps it was the eagle's nest that sat outside his window as a boy in Juneau, Alaska, or maybe it was his ill-fated attempt as a 10-year-old to fly with nothing more than a tarp from the roof of his house. But from the moment DeVore took his first skydive as a teenager, he was hooked. But dropping face down from a plane wasn't enough. He got into vertical free-flying, head towards Earth, feet towards Earth, pulling off somersaults and zipping around other divers in mid-flight. This wasn't without risk, of course. He once crashed into a mountain at 90 miles an hour and lived to tell the tale, obviously. And at the time he got into it, this was around 1994, free flying was beginning to take off in skydiving, pushing the limits of human flight further and further. I always say that I found the sport when a lot of people can relate when snowboarding came into the scene and what it did to the skiing world. That's what this was doing. Everybody at first was like, okay, you can go and do this alone, but you'll never be able to do it in a group. There's no organization to it. And step by step, this tiny little posse of us started proving that, okay, first we figured out how to do this solo. Now I'm doing it with somebody else and we're being relative to each other. And then, wow, now we're linking up and now we're doing more dynamic tricks. And it started opening everybody's eyes. Where were wingsuits at this point? Very much at the beginning. There was, you know, like in eras in the sport where people try to put on some type of a wing contraption suit. And it was more often than not leading to uh, really bad injuries or death just because the suits were designed horribly and it was putting people in unrecoverable situations. Right. So it really almost didn't exist. It definitely wasn't popular. And then um, the original Silver Surfer guy, Patrick D. Gaillardon. French dude. Yeah. Butchered his name, but yeah. That's okay. I don't know how many uh, francophones we have listening to the podcast. Um, did, did a lot of the development, you mentioned he's French, is, a lot of, is that because a lot of the development was happening in France at the time or in, in no, Switzerland? he or? was just a revolutionary guy. He was, whether it came to sky surfing, he was like, he was coined the silver surfer because he was the, kind of the original guy. And he also started 
trying to modernize what wingsuits, what they are today, he was starting to develop that. But it, it didn't really take off because, to be honest, I did it for, you know, back then I probably did 100 jumps in a wingsuit, but I got super bored compared to what we were doing free flying with the vertical skydiving. It was more dynamic and exciting. So there's a difference here between skydiving and flying. Yeah, no, no, not so much. It's just different. Wingsuiting, it, it limits, well, to today it's a little different. People are starting to take it in all kinds of different ways. But especially back then, it limited you to being belly to earth and being in basically what we call a track position, where even without a wingsuit, you can form your body where you get good forward motion and you're tracking through the sky. Well, wingsuiting was the same, but it just made everything slower and you could stay up longer. But without things relative like it, you know, safely clouds or today's version base jumping with mountains, it it just kind of, for lack of better words, didn't necessarily bore me, but I wanted to get back to the freedom of flipping around, spinning and zooming all over the sky with my friends. And it, uh, then I kind of put the wingsuit world on the back burner and chased the sport of free flying for a good decade until um, <clears throat> an ex-Red Bull athlete, Jean-Louis Albert, another French guy. But he did something that changed the sport where we had heard rumors that he was taking the wingsuits low to the mountains and things like that. Nobody really knew what that meant. He, uh, he showed his video and he came four or five feet off the ground. Shadows met him. He went right by skiers that were raising their hands and their poles. And at, up until that point, nobody had ever done terrain proximity flying at, at all. It did not exist. And, and you watched this film. Yeah, we were all standing there. It was kind of like one of the after parties of the world meet. And yeah, and what what's going through your mind at this point? It, initially, I was like, that guy's going to die for sure because you'd never seen something like that and skydivers aren't supposed to be four feet off the ground going over 100 miles an hour. Just at right. that point in the sport, it made it made perfect sense, but it made no sense, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just everybody from whatever discipline they were, everybody's jaws were on the floor. And yeah. at that point forward, the wingsuiting world exploded. That video went viral, even though it wasn't really, social media wasn't going on quite yet then. Right. But it started going all around the world. Everybody People was talking started about it. Passing VHS tapes around. Or, yeah. By the way, right. is this completely because you get the thrill of flying out of uh, off of buildings and and alongside mountainsides? How boring is this for you right now? Right now, sitting in this recording <laughs> studio, just answering questions and drinking yeah. water and coffee. Um, it's not boring at all. I love I love to be diverse in what I do. And okay. one of my biggest passions in life, I say it a lot, is to spread the sport and to educate the public on really what our sport is and teach people it's not just people searching for this big adrenaline rush, that those that are at my level or even in it, you know, as as a really avid hobby, they've fell in love with the the idea of human flight, not just like falling towards earth, ah, ground rush. Maybe that's what you do your first tandem or your first few skydives Absolutely, or something. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's most people's understanding of it, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's that's my goal is to teach people that, man, there's a lot that goes into this sport, especially if you're trying to do advanced type of flying. And that the human body is an amazing wing in some ways, a, a more powerful and agile wing than the most badass F-35, you know, Raptor fighter jet out there. It's right. We have no engine, so we can't go up. But right. what we can pull off and how accurate we can be, most people do, have no idea. To go back to that film, is that when you started thinking in those terms? That's when I started thinking about it. You know, so I was much more in love with the idea of human flight. And But when I saw that, that was in my vision, what I was trying to get to earlier was it was really 
you know, I talked about sky surfing is I was like, the public's going to be able to relate to this because they don't have to look into the big blue sky and try to decipher what they're seeing. They're going to be able to see ground really close and realize, holy crap, these guys are being super accurate. They're flying. They are flying machines. And whoever saw that video, even non-skydivers were starting to say that just like, wow, you know, this is, this guy's really knowing what he's doing. He's going right around this tree and diving and like you guys there's, are, there's a method to this. Yeah, there's a method. To it's the almost like seeing like like a complicated math problem for the first time, and then you start to understand yeah, it. it. I mean, I have no relation down. to that because I was awful at math. But right. the guys who were good in my right. class would like that movie, prob- A Beautiful Mind. Right? Exactly, yeah. like that dude, like <laughs> Russell Crowe. It was would, totally like Russell. Crow. It was basically right. Russell. Okay, I got it. All right, yeah. Well, that's instantly relatable to me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then, and then at that point, where you did you think, okay, let me do more bass jumps so I can get closer to this. Um, yeah, I mean, at that point, I, I was still uh, calculated enough where I decided then to start kind of wingsuiting again just to get my, my levels up to a point skydiving. Skydive wingsuiting is pretty damn safe. It's, you know, you're not next to a mountain. If things go weird, you got all this time to recover from it. So my mission was to jump it as much as I could in the middle of still progressing the world of free-flying, three-dimensional flight, you know, kind of just like, learning both really well, but without really a vision to it. And it wasn't until much later that a, a producer guy approached me and said, hey, I, I want to make a movie about your guys' team. And after like a year of interviewing with a director and writer and stuff, they came out of basically scripting reality where they realized that everybody on the Red Bull Air Force at that time were innovators like I was in the world of free flying and, and developing all these new sports but we were all getting a little bit older. And so our dilemma was, you know, we're all famous and, you know, making careers because we invented this new sport. Well, here's this new thing coming. And do we continue on and be the innovators and pioneers of this as well, even though it's tenfold more dangerous? Which, by the way, requires some mental gymnastics, right? Because what you've done already is already kind of pioneering and already you know, kind of fording new waters and new territory. What was your mindset at that point? Were you feeling like this is something that, yeah, I'm ready to like just cast it all aside and and really push myself even further? Or was it, hang on, I've got a wife. Did you, at that point, did you have kids? Did that... Um, yeah, I had one. At the point we started getting into it, yeah. I had one newborn baby and uh, my wife was pregnant right. with another one. With another so one, the right. whole world of responsibility of parenthood yeah, yeah. was, was, was coming super heavy down. on my shoulders. And, sure. and there was already a few bad stories out there and things of that nature that weighed heavy on me. So it was definitely something to consider. But it's, uh, you know, I like to say the world of wingsuit proximity flying is so dangerously addictive that, you know, almost what got me into skydiving. Yeah. The first few times I went and jumped off a cliff and just did big wall flying where below me was still tons of altitude, but I'm right next to a sheer cliff wall and having those visuals and just realizing, you know, you're seeing your true flight with, you know, all these visuals to use. Yeah. That it was starting to really grab me and addict, you know, make me addicted to the whole experience that there was true human flight was going on. Now your wife got on board for the skydiving that you wanted to make that a career. Right. Luckily she was a jumper when we met. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but did she get on board for base jumping and wingsuit proximity flying as well then? No. And it's, <laughs> it's only gotten worse. Right. <laughs> for sure. Okay. Well, cause the sport's progressing so much that what we're doing now is tenfold to what we started doing. Right. You know, wingsuit flying is in the headlines quite often and, quite often also negatively. 
do you understand the uproar around it? Do you understand um, how people react to it? Uh, definitely. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, the most common thing you get is you're being so sh- selfish and things of that nature, especially those like myself that have a family and whatnot. Do you, do you think you're selfish? A lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I have mental battles with myself all the time because now I'm in it so heavy, just the world of air sports and what I do that I, I can't really go backwards, you know, and like, I wouldn't want to either, but you know, now, uh, now I'm to a place that, you know, like a lot of athletes or just professional people would be like, well, what would I do from here if I changed anyways, you know, but to go back to the the question more specifically that, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, they just don't get it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's never, if you talk to anybody that does what we do, even the very beginner people up to somebody like myself, there's just never a moment that you feel more alive than when you go through a jump like that, where you're, you know, you're putting everything on the line, you know it, you know you can't mess up, everything's on you, and just the overwhelming feeling of accomplishment when you land on the ground, to the surreal moments when everything goes into like that flow state of mind while you're flying, and everything's in nanoseconds, and you're you're seeing birds on branches when you go by, and you can't even see that on your GoPro when you go to watch the video in slow-mo, and you just don't get, like, how did my mind, what's going on in my mind that something rewired to where I saw that that was a yellow bird with a red stripe and my 60 frame a second camera can't even see it, you know, and those kind of things, at least for me, are really intriguing where it's, there's something happening with, you know, the wiring of the brain when you're going through something so, so, you know, dramatic. That are you breathing heavy when you're flying? Is it, is it shortness of breath? I mean, can you describe it all what that's like? And um, everyone's a little different, right? It's a, you know, if you go from the beginnings when I was doing it, yeah, I'm sure I was holding my breath being super intense and, you know, way different than I am now where now my number one goal on flights is, you know, I do talks and stuff right now. And then where I, I coined one of my talks controlling the animal within, because I think that to have a, a long career in this is you got to, you have to be able to recognize in those moments of the adrenaline rush and just all this crazy surreal feelings coming in, you have to realize that you have an ego. You have this animal that's going to tell you to, you know, like dive past that rock and carve around here. That's going to be so cool. But, you know, it's more, you know, you probably should take a deep breath, relax, almost like an angel and devil on your shoulders and tell the devil to chill out a couple times while, right, you, right. while you fly the line, maybe 10 feet higher than your ego tells you to, because right. you want to be able to come down with that video and be like, well, let's split those trees and holy crap, yeah, you know? Yeah. But the ones that make it on and on year after year are the ones that I feel that can relate to that in the moment, re- relate to that inner animal and kind of squash it and not, not, you know go into that urge of trying to do better than your last one or something like that. So it's anymore. I'm trying to breathe calm, keep my mind calm. And it's almost like a, a Zen state, a yoga state of meditation for me anymore, where I always joke and call it air therapy where air therapy. I'm on the cliff and, you know, to be bluntly honest with you, especially because of family, there's times that I have so many waves of emotion where I'm even tearing up going like, man, what am I doing? Like I have visions of my kids and my wife and, and that's where I start feeling really selfish and things of that nature. And I, I'm fighting with myself. But the moment I step off that cliff, you know, I'm still very much conscious of those things. But that's when the flood of life comes into you and you realize, like, within a moment of stepping off, like, this is why I do this. And just the pure freedom and joy that it gives you, it's it's indescribable. It's, it's 
So is cool. there, uh, I mean, you did quite a good job describing it right there. Is there a, is there just kind of utter confidence also in what you're doing when you're mid flight? Is that kind of, I imagine that pre, you know, that that's the precursor to stepping off that, that ledge as well, right? Just complete confidence that you're going to pull this off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, our sport is a game of two things in my mind. One is numbers. And the other one that correlates with that is muscle memory. So if I know I'm going on, you know, a, a crazy trip somewhere and it's going to be, you know, I'm shooting a movie and it's going to be hairball stunts or something, I'll go out to the drop zone aggressively and just up my numbers, do eight, 10 jumps a day for two weeks straight and just be uber current and ready to rock and completely at one with my suit, my gear, my skills, know everything I have going on and have my whole bag of tricks, you know, shiny and polished and really familiar to me. So when I do go into those situations where I'm being asked to do something that's way over the top from the norm, that I know that I couldn't be more prepared. And that kind of feeling is, you know, it's just pure confidence, actually. Is there also a sense of this is this ability to, or this dream of flying that this is somehow advancing us as, you know, humankind. Right. I mean, we like to think so jokingly. It's, it's hard to yeah. really know, yeah. but, uh, yeah. you know, I always like to say, you know, like we're the next step in human evolution because for the simple fact that our brains are thinking different than people that are stuck walking flat on the ground and never know what it's like to, you know, you see a bird up in the sky flying circles around each other, diving down, and your brain's just not wired to even know what that freedom would feel like. Well, people like us, and, you know, there's people on my team that are three generations deep in it where their grandfathers are still jumping and stuff like that. And, you know, who knows, after a, a long line of families doing it and people keep doing it, it it could change, you know, the, right. the human psyche. Right. Um, but but at a minimum, everywhere from that being able to slow down our minds and get into that flow state of mind instantly, compared yeah. to having to like work up to it like a lot of athletes would have to. Right. Ours is so intense that we snap into it instantly, and I think we're really onto something. And that's why there's groups that contact me to go do talks and stuff to business professionals. I was just gonna say, is there something that you know those of us who don't want to don a wingsuit and fly, you know, three feet from a yellow bird with a red stripe on it? <laughs> Is there something we can get out of it just from your mindset or from, from, you know, the way you prepare? You know, I try to teach them what I've learned in all my practices. And that's one is repetition is key to develop muscle memory, whether it's in the world of business and you're crunching numbers or it's a sports person or anything in the middle that when you do something repetitively and it becomes just ingrained in your muscle memory, that's when you're allowed to kind of put all that on the autopilot and start to focus on the mental side of things and find that flow state of mind. And it doesn't have to be flow state of mind is not always, you know, directed just at adrenaline sports. It's right. It's in anything, whether you're, you know, being meditative all the way right. up to crushing the biggest business deal of your life. Right. Right. Those that can calm themselves, stay focused yeah. and start to think in a slower process, I think are going to achieve a lot more. So I that's mean, what it, I try to get across. So, what's, what you, so much of what you do is also about controlling fear, right? Which yeah. is what all of us deal with day to day it exists in anything we do, whether it be a job, whether it be, you know, first time fatherhood, <laughs> whether yeah, it be, right. you know, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, that, that ability to control and recognize fear and what is it? Is it, you welcome it in, but you somehow you recognize it for what it is or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as a youth, I've always just 
I've definitely welcomed in fear and the adrenaline. Yeah. And then as soon as that started becoming a little bit more numb, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, it's just something you have to get used to. So but you it, can't so it doesn't have overwhelm it be numb, you. right? You can't have. Well, that's the controlling the animals, realizing when you're trying to go above what you should do. Right. And so. You're yeah. a human. You're not an eagle. Right. You have to keep right. the fear there, but you right. also can't let it dominate what you're, what's, what's going on in that exact moment. So it's, it's always a balancing act. So, uh, you crashed into the side of a mountain. So you're absolutely familiar with that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, 90 miles an hour. Roughly. That's yeah, just an estimate, but from the, the skydiver <laughs> just, people you know, that were on the ground time. watching, they said it was damn close to pure free fall speed. Cause I had a little bit of junk out. Right. Um, Tell me about that. What was it? When? Where yeah. were you and when? Um, it was 2001, um, filming a movie that never came out for Disney. It was going to be called The... Uh, oh, man. That's yeah. just the worst. Yeah. Man. Yeah. As soon as I crashed in, I don't think it was because of me, but the whole production fell apart. But Wow. Um, you were that bad omen. I must have been. I don't yeah. know. I made it. So I think I'm a good omen. You were but, like, well, yeah, you could have been like Brandon Lee and the Crow, right? right like yeah. that thing never got made either. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, it did get made and got CGI. Right. And it got weird. But anyway, yeah. so you're not Brandon Lee, is what we're establishing yeah, right now. Yeah, no. Got it. No, I'm, I'm not very good at martial arts either. But. <laughs> exactly. And you're here yeah. sitting in this incredibly boring recording studio <laughs> doing this thing. All right. Suffering through this. But go ahead. Cool. So the stunt was, uh, it was a cool stunt. The movie was going to be, it was going to be called The X Team. It was, a spinoff of the A team, but it was going to be all like. I see what they did there. Yeah, there you go. Pretty clever. It's right? like the A team, but with X. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? That's an elevator pitch. Mind blowing. Hollywood's amazing. Yeah. It's so crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my stunt was the gag was for me to jump out of a helicopter at 12,000 feet, so way up there like a normal skydive, but with skis on, and then go through free fall with the skis on, pull a parachute, and eventually come in and land on top of a big mountain cut away the parachute and then ski this incredible line, which although I, I fancy myself an okay skier, I didn't get that slot. It was going to be Shane McConkey. That was going to be this skiing guy after I landed. Um, <clears throat> so we'd been doing it for a couple of weeks already. The stunt's really not too sketchy, but um, for lack of getting into a lot of technical stuff about gear, I didn't necessarily have the right container and parachute system for the job. So I had what we call a pilot shoot and tow where I'm in a stand-up position, basically standing on my skis in free fall. I pull out the, the tiny little parachute called a pilot chute that pulls out your big parachute. Well, when I pulled it, nothing happened. It was just sitting there trailing behind me, just getting towed. And so what you do there, if you're just normal skydiving, is you could just pull your reserve or whatever, but usually you go through, like, you try to reach back, and it's just a little pin that the pilot chute's supposed to pull. So I was reaching back trying to pull it out manually, and because of that, I kind of ended up, you know, ass flying. I wasn't standing on my skis anymore. It was more like I was sitting on my butt. My feet were in the air a little bit. And the skis are obviously affecting the flight. Yeah, not so much no? at that okay. point. I mean, it was a, uh, they're, they're going to affect things in a second in the story, but they weren't <laughs> affected much yet. Stay tuned. Yeah. So I finally got the pin pulled. And instead of going off straight off my back, like a parachute's supposed to, because the way I was kind of lazy boy sitting back in my, in my uh, sit fly position, all the lines and parachute came under my arm by my chest. And I just watched all these lines come by me and wrap around my boots, binding skis and just hog tied me up. And there was really no reason to cut away. Cause you know, like cut away your main parachute. Cause it was wrapped on me. Even so you if didn't, I, did you have a, what is it called? A reserve a reserve. Yeah. Yeah. So once I realized that there's no way I'm getting out of this mess, my mission was to get my reserve parachute out. 
but there was enough of a mess on my feet that it it hung me upside down. The parachute never came all the way out of the bag that it's stuffed in. A little bit of it did. I like to say like the size of a hefty garbage bag, which would be like one or two incels of a parachute, just enough to create a little bit of drag. And which is cool if you're jumping off, you know, the roof of your garage and you're 10. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. <laughs> Kids don't do that. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Uh, disclaimer. That was like the first jump I made. I'll get back to that. Are you that, serious? With a blue tarp. Yeah, holding, oh, right. holding the four corners of a blue tarp. Wow. Hurt like hell. I thought I broke both my ankles. But. <laughs> uh, all right, back to this very yeah. serious story, though. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I realized I was in a really bad situation, and so I was trying to get my reserve parachute out. And um, unless you know skydive gear, it's hard to explain, but the cabling system that holds your reserve cable because I was hanging upside down and spinning like a top at that point where I had tunnel vision that the black walls were coming in, I could only see out of pinholes. That's how fast I was spinning. I could only pull because of the centrifugal force. I could only pull straight up because I was hanging upside down. And because of that, it kinked my cable like a garden hose. And so I'm staring at like three inches of cable pulling with all my might, but not quite understanding like why can't I not pull my reserve? It didn't make any sense to me in the moment. I just knew it wasn't working. And so I fought with that all the way down, saw the ground coming up, saw the ground coming up, you know, in my mind, this was like a 40 second ordeal. So I had enough time to strangely almost calm down and realize like I'm what we call going in. I'm going in. This is it. It was my first, one of my first real stunty jobs I'd ever gotten. And I was like, I'm going to be one of those stories of like, young kid got in over his head trying to do these stunts and look what happened. And it really had nothing to do with getting over my head. It's just a bad situation, sure. but saw the, uh, saw the ground coming up this and that. And then wham, just what? hit the ground full speed ahead. And, uh, what it was, kind of terrain did you hit? Um, believe it or not, it was in New Zealand and believe it or not, I landed on the peak of a mountain named Mount Invincible, which right. I cannot believe it. That's the mountain I hit. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so I hit and everything went black, but then I got really euphoric inside because I was like, wow, there's an afterlife. Because I your had, soul was leaving your body. Well, right? I had an inter, in, internal dialogue. I was talking to myself nonstop. I never lost thought. I, From the second I hit all the way to what felt like an eternity of just black, I couldn't see anything, but I'm talking to myself and I'm realizing like, wow, there's something else. Something's coming because I'm I'm still alive in some way, obviously, because I'm talking to myself, but I know I'm dead because I know what I just went through. And I had enough time to have a, a pretty in-depth conversation with myself in that moment. And then I heard this sound and that was the other stunt guy landed next to me. He chased me down eventually and landed on top of the mountain next to me. Thought he was just going to do a recovery because everybody that saw it was sure that, you know, it was a fatal accident. But that sound of that whoosh going by me, my my eyes just opened, and then I realized I was just laying there in kind of like very springy, styrofoamy snow, and didn't make much of a hole or anything. But you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to be one of those you know paraplegic stories, something. So I start doing the wiggle your fingers, your toes. I realize I'm able to move everything, and so I set up. And right when I set up, my buddy Soul, the guy that landed next to me, ran and tackled me because he just couldn't believe I'd set. He thought I was dead. And so he saw me move and even sit up and didn't even think that I could have a broken back or neck or something. And just full on tackled me with joy. Like, you're alive. And at that point, I was still thinking, maybe not. Maybe this is part of that like weird dream thing that I was going through just now and still didn't believe that I was alive. And, you know, to flash forward, the helicopter picked me up. 
And then I was really numb where I convinced the producer that everything's okay. And some of my skis cut my lines. So I hand tied my lines together, hiked back up to the top of the peak and launched my parachute on my Wait, skis. Hang on, I hang swear. on. What's going on, dude? Yeah. So you, you I got, thought, sorry, you didn't leave much of a hole. That's where yeah. I kind of like, my mind started exploding. <laughs> I was like, God, that would be awful on a tombstone. Like, here lies Sean DeVore. Didn't leave much of a hole, actually. <laughs> That's awesome. Did did uh so you so you got up yeah. and, and uh and did you you did a check right you like touched your yeah I did the full like, body check I felt great okay and and at that point I still thought I was probably dead and I was living in some parallel universe my mind right, went crazy right. I thought I was like in a parallel universe and wow what's going like I was sure I was dead so this is like this is what everybody wonders what happens you know but really okay. it was reality in the end but. I was in this very numb dream state of mind to where for some reason the producer said okay to me going like, I I still want to do the stunt because really that part of the stunt was landing, cutting away the parachute and skiing off. Right. So I, he let me hike up the mountain. I launched my parachute and then I landed by the camera, cut away the parachute. My job was done. I got the shot they wanted. And then the producer had like a mental check or something and freaked out. I think the execs at Disney must've called him or something on his sat phone because they threw me in a helicopter Put me, flew me to the hospital right away. Was sure I had internal this and that going on. Sure, yeah. And the story gets crazier because I go into the hospital and the doctor. Who the who is this producer, man? Like, (laughs) are you kidding me right now? I haven't seen him working since then. I was just gonna say that's super bananas, man. (laughs) That's that's why would you even? All right. Anyway, so well, he saw me bouncing around. He's like, yeah, the kid's not hurt. Yeah. that's just not a very Disney thing to do, is it? No. Like make a man who's well, just crazy. What is very Disney to do? You know. Well, I don't know. Well, maybe yeah. The bluebirds yeah. on your shoulder rescue. But if you, you want to hire me, Disney, I'm a exactly. <laughs> Shout out to Disney, by the way, if they yeah. want to get on the cast. <laughs> um, we're open. We like we like that mouse money. That's um, it. So right, okay. So you 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 were choppered out. Yeah. So we got to the hospital. We walked in, and that my handler, whatever you want to call him told the doctor the story and he instantly thought he was on one of those like prank game show things or something where he's like, all right. He kept looking around. Everybody's like, what are you looking for? And he's like the camera crew, like, ha ha. Cause I'm sitting there and he's like, obviously that didn't happen to this guy. Like, look at him. Like your story's BS. And they're like, no, seriously, you know, and eventually convinced him this is real. Everybody's just standing there cold faced going like, this isn't a joke. Like check him out. So he starts checking me out and, there was nothing wrong with me at all. And so he wrote me this really awesome release letter that basically the first paragraph is, I don't believe anything you guys told me, but I verify that John DeVore is great. Like he can go, he's, there's nothing wrong with him. Tell he's, me that's framed somewhere in your house. I have it. It's not framed, but I have it tucked away somewhere. That's an amazing letter to have. Yeah. It's, it's my memory of that. So you go home and you say, this has been great, but um, obviously this was a message from somewhere and I'm never going to do this again. Nope. Nope. I didn't do that. I, uh, I went home and buried it deep, deep inside for a little bit. Like I had, I didn't tell my wife right when it happened cause I didn't get home for like 10 days. So she had no idea. And I definitely broke down. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, I'm just, this relationship is getting more and more interesting as the podcast goes along. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to shelter her from it cause I wanted her to be able to touch me and sure. know that I was here before yeah. it, cause she's a skydiver and I just thought the story would make her lose it. And so- right. It was simply to protect her is why I didn't tell her. I told her the second I got home. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I went right into like a skydiving event and nobody had known anything and I didn't want to like make a deal out of it. So I went through this like hosting a big, what we call a boogie, a big festival, you know, so hundreds of people are there and I'm like one of the guys that are hosting it and 
But the whole time in my head, definitely going through the like, should I be done with this sport? Like, oh my God, was was that it? Like, was that my one moment of you know yeah. luck that I I'm never gonna have again? And, right. But you know, it was like how I explained earlier the feeling of what human flight's like is after that weekend of jumping with all those high energy people and just the feeling of it. It uh, almost it almost went away in the sense of had like, you had you not done that, would you have had the same? Uh, would you have arrived at the same conclusion? Um, you know, probably cause it's what, it's what put me on a path already. It was that feeling and that big, you know, desire to see still, what's next. Still early enough to bail on that path. Though, yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, it really is. I yeah. mean, now it's, what are we at? 2015? Did my wife pay you something? Or, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just saying 14, 14 years ago, the, yeah. the sport wasn't where it was at now. Right. right. Uh, you could have probably just gone on into something different, but you didn't. Yeah. Nope. I, uh, I felt like I was destined to do something in this sport and, it was, right. uh, you know, doors just kept opening and opportunities right. and the growth was so just in my face that I couldn't say no to it. By the way, what's your animal? Eagle. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah when I was a little kid, a tarot card reader person. Yeah. So I've lived with that my whole life. I'm a eagle. See, I always thought of myself as a wolf guy. Yeah. But then I did capoeira, which is like that Brazilian yeah, martial yeah. art. And they give you a name. You're not allowed to get your own name. And it's a Portuguese name. And I was like, cool, like El Lobo. This is going to be great. <laughs> and they gave me the name uh, El Girafo oh, yeah. uh, because I was long-limbed <laughs> yeah. and skinny. And I ended up being really rubbish at it. But um, I think it's, I mean, you can actually, you're an eagle. So that actually right. makes sense. Yeah, you can asked, claim it. I grew up with a, a bald eagle's nest right outside my window as a kid. Really? Yeah. I, yeah, I was lucky to grow up now on that, the ocean. I mean, place. that's America, right? Right yeah. there. That's like every yeah. day. I had I had bears, you know, a certain yeah. time of year getting salmon out of the stream and eagles. Yeah. The glory of growing up in Alaska. Is that where you're most comfortable about? Yeah. I mean that's yeah. where I'm most at home. Oh yeah. You know what I wanted to ask you about was the um jumping off of a uh garage with a tarp. Oh yeah. My well, first introduction yeah, to air sports. Exactly. Your first uh air Air experience. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how old I was. I know what house it was, so I had to have been pretty young, probably like 10 years old or something. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what got into my head. I was super into ninjas. I had a whole ninja outfit. I'd Who was I had climbing claws, throwing stars, oh, swords. Geez. By the way, ninjas need to make a comeback. So bad. Because yeah. it was it's zombies now, right? right. The Walking Dead, um, previous to that. I don't know. I just feel like ninjas needs to come back. What's that? Wipeout mixed with American American Ninja Warrior. That'd exactly. Be a good one. Exactly. Throwing stars at you while you're doing the thing. Let's get Michael Bay on the phone right now. Done. First name. Get him on the speed dial. All right. All right. We're sorting that out. We're gonna pitch in a second. But why don't you finish up this anecdote? Yeah. So I had a wild idea to uh, parachute off my roof. It was just a, a one story roof, you know, like house. And so I decided to go to the apex of it, you know, so the highest point on the roof and. Went and got a blue tarp out of the garage, one of my dad's tarps, and I just grabbed all four corners, like thought like what a parachute should look like, and I ran and jumped off the roof, and it didn't slow me down at all, and I hit the ground so hard that both my feet were just stinging pins, and I thought I shattered my ankles, and luckily I was still made of rubber at 10 years old because I got I wasn't broken, but that was the first time that I realized that such a short fall could hurt really bad. John, thanks for coming. Man. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody thanks. go jump out of an airplane once in your life. You'll love it. There it is. There it is. The message to take home. One, two, three, go. 
So, uh, so just to clarify, it's totally fine to jump out of an airplane with a certified instructor. Uh, it's totally not fine to jump off of the roof of your garage with a tarp or a blanket, kid. So please don't try that at home. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Andreas Georges. Uh, you can listen to us, obviously, at iTunes, at Acast as well, our host partner. And uh, be sure to head over to the redbulletin.com for tons of great stories um, covering much of the same ground we do here in addition to an archive of all of the podcasts up until this point. See you next time. Thank you.